This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The situation in Venezuela gets more dire by the day as the economy in the country with the world's largest oil reserves spirals out of control. People that have a hard time finding the basics uh, protesting about the path that the country is going has left at least 37 people dead and 700 wounded. And this part of the story comes thanks to the move by Venezuela's Supreme Court to pull power from the National Assembly and give it basically all to President Nicolas Maduro. This truly is a country in crisis right now. To take a look at the situation, we are joined in studio by William Burke White, director of the Perry World House and law professor here at the University of Pennsylvania, and also by Dorothy Cronick, who is an assistant professor in the political science department here at the University of Pennsylvania. Great to see you both. Thanks for having coming in today. Appreciate it. Glad to be with you, Dan. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I, I guess let's start with, with what is happening on the streets right now and the impact that this is having on the people of Venezuela, Dorothy. Yes, well, this is the fifth consecutive week of massive protests in cities across the country. Hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans have been taking to the streets. As you mentioned, 37 people have died. Hundreds of people have been arrested and imprisoned. And while the protests were originally sparked by um, a Supreme Court decision to absorb the powers of the National Assembly, and while a lot of the protesters are focused on calling for elections and calling for regime change, undoubtedly participation in these protests is fueled by Venezuela's ongoing, devastatingly severe economic crisis. Bill? Yeah, I think what we're seeing different at the moment is just the the sustained protests on the street, the fact that there's real calls now uh, for Maduro to fall and for, for regime change. Um, that has been percolating for some time. Yeah. Um, it really reached a crisis point uh, after both the, the National Assembly lost its powers through the Supreme Court move, and then Maduro goes and calls for a, uh, a constitutional rewriting, if you will, the last constitution written by Chavez in 1999. Um, and Maduro has called for a new constitution that's all about removing power from the constituent, excuse me, from the, the National Assembly, which was, is now controlled by the opposition, and moving it now to a constituent assembly, which would rewrite a new constitution. He tried to do this as a way of supposedly uniting the country. It was seen by everyone, not as an effort to unite the country, but as an effort to preserve his power. And that sparked the latest round of protests. Well, and it doesn't seem like there is, is any path right now with some of these moves that we would truly have free elections in Venezuela right now, correct? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. He has indicated that as part of the new constitution, uh, there would eventually be elections. Um, it's clear his uh, you know, Socialist Party would lose those elections if they were held today. Yeah. Um, and much of this is a move to push those elections out uh, indefinitely. That, yeah, that's sad. I mean, I think it's important to remember that while the government would control the rules by which delegates would be elected to this constitutional convention that would rewrite the constitution and set the path for future elections, and while undoubtedly those rules will favor the government, the government is going to try to make this constitutional convention full of delegates that are supporters. Yeah. It is nevertheless, in these conditions, I think, a somewhat risky move for Maduro to call for this constitutional convention because his approval ratings are so low that even with electoral rules that are extremely favorable to the government, oppos the opposition could potentially gain control of this constitutional convention of the Constituent Assembly, and that could be very dangerous for the government and, in fact, lead to regime change. 
Yeah, this is a move in desperation. Uh, he realizes yeah. that the you know the protests on the streets are just going to keep growing, um, and he didn't have a lot of cards left. Um, so this was uh, a a tactic that was you know legal within the constitutional structure that the president can call for uh, a new constitution um, that uh, you wouldn't undertake if you weren't in in this move uh, a moment of desperation. Um, that said, they have built and Dorothy, I totally agree with you that the the opposition could seize hold of it, but they have built in some structural controls, namely that half of the delegates to the convention will be chosen essentially from businesses uh, or from the okay. from the workers, uh, uh, you know, collectives, almost in a throwback to Soviet communism. Um, and I think they can control very much that um, 50%. The other 50% would, in theory, be elected to the convention. Uh, and I think they're hoping that that would, would give uh, Maduro and his party still control. Um, but it's entirely possible um, that they would actually still lose, uh, you know, the, the majority. I absolutely agree that this is a move taken in desperation. The fact that Maduro is doing this at all indicates that postponing elections indefinitely and not making any concession is not in his choice set. If he could do that, he would, and, and right. he, he, he doesn't have that choice. Um, I think the half of the delegates to this constitutional convention, constituent assembly, that would come from uh, sectors, as they've said, right, specific businesses, specific parts of the economy, while would undoubtedly you know, makes it much easier for the government to be overrepresented in yeah. this constitutional convention. Even there, Maduro has felt obliged to commit to secret and universal uh, ballots within each of these sectors. And so even with even with these rules, everything, you know, set up to favor the government to try to give them control of the constitutional uh, convention, it is possible, and various economists have run simulations looking at approval ratings and how the economy is doing mm -hmm. and what would happen under these different electoral rules. There is a risk that the opposition could do well and end up reshaping uh, rules to their advantage. When you, when you look at the state of the Venezuelan economy right now, obviously their long history with oil is very well known, uh, especially under former President Hugo Chavez. And, and I guess the question is, what is the state of the economy right now? Obviously, they have been severely impacted by the decline in oil price around the globe over the last couple of years, basically cut in half. I mean, that's a lot of money that they have lost from their economy. Yeah, I think the state of the economy is simply a disaster, um, but that uh, it's more than just the decline in world oil prices. That has affected countries from Russia to Saudi Arabia. Uh, Venezuela is worse off for a number of reasons. They do have the world's largest proven supply of oil reserves, but much of those reserves are actually high cost to extract. Um, okay. So uh, when the oil price declines, those are uh, the first um, uh, you know production to cease because it's no longer economically viable to do so. Second, uh, of course, the government of Chavez and, and now Maduro um, fired and and essentially kicked out um, both their own uh, technical experts within the oil industry uh, and then ended up nationalizing, expropriating uh, the value of the investments of a number of foreign investors. So they have lost a great deal of technical capacity um, at oil extraction, which has both increased the cost of production and decreased uh, the ability to keep production up. So their oil industry is really no longer able to provide the economic support that Maduro needs uh, to be able to consolidate to essentially buy off um, power. And isn't that really the core of their of their economy right now? I mean, still to this day, I mean, outside of the oil industry, what is there for the Venezuelans to, to really hang their hat on that they can say either that they are exporting out or, you know, building within through infrastructure? Well, 
let me first give a sense of the the scale, the scope of this economic crisis. This is the fourth consecutive year of negative GDP growth in Venezuela. Last year, the economy contracted by 17 yeah. percent. Just to give you a sense of scale, in the worst year of economic growth in the United States, in the yeah. recent crisis, the economy contracted by 3 percent. There are devastating shortages of food and medicine. Inflation is above 300 percent, and there's just tremendous suffering. Thinking about the causes of this crisis, how did Venezuela get here? You know, I, I agree certainly that the collapse in oil prices is a big part of that. Between 2013 and 2016, Venezuela experienced the worst negative terms of trade shock in the country's entire history. Is Chavez's economic policy and policy towards the oil industry a part of it? Absolutely. He experienced a tremendous windfall in terms of hundreds of billions of dollars of natural resource income that was not invested well, that was not saved, that was largely squandered. But I want to emphasize that I think a lot of the magnitude of the current crisis is not attributable only to the fallen oil prices or to Chavez's policies, but rather to the disastrous economic choices made by the current government of Nicolas Maduro. And I think a lot of the scope of this suffering was avoidable, not just 20 years ago if they had treated PDVSA, the oil company, differently, not just 15 years ago if Chavez had saved more of this oil income, but three years ago when Maduro chose to maintain some really destructive and expensive exchange controls price controls. And I think that's yeah. a lot of what's causing the shortages. One of the other areas that uh, was actually written up in a couple of articles is just kind of the 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 back and forth that's going on between Venezuela, in Venezuela right now. Uh, not only is Maduro trying to hang on to his power, but there is also that, that group of, of financially powerful people within the country itself that you really need to hang your hat on for support. And the question is whether or not Maduro actually has the support of those people. And those those are the ones that, that could really flip the script on Maduro and put him put him out. That's right. I think it's not just financially powerful people in the private sector or, or in the government who've profited off these disastrous yeah. economic policies like the currency controls, the exchange controls, but also people in the military. And I think that is really going to be the big question is how much support is there in the military. Bill? Yeah, I agree. The military here is really going to be the test. The only way he can maintain, uh, I shouldn't say order on the streets, given what the streets look like, but maintain power uh, is if the military continues to back him. Um, and you see some pictures that suggest uh, that the opposition is really trying to court the military at the moment um, and and get them to tip. Well, and he's he's put some of the me members of the military in his uh, in his structure of his government, correct? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And he recognizes that that's a, a critical um, support base. Uh, though um, there may be some units that begin to tip, and if that happens, that's probably the end of the Maduro regime. Um, it's, the way you keep a military happy is you usually keep them well-paid, well-fed, and giving them something to do. Uh, and he doesn't right now have the budgetary ability to ensure that the military is being paid. Uh, and as soon as you're not being paid, you start to ask why uh, why you're remaining loyal to that regime while watching uh, the extraordinary suffering around you. There was a great picture in, in one of the papers uh, of a, uh, an opposition protester holding you know a white flower out uh, to a yeah. group of military riot police yep. standing there. Um, and that's the kind of image that makes you wonder, when is that tip going to happen? When are they going to pick up that white flower uh, rather than um, to, to keep their guns pointed um, at their civilian brothers and sisters on the streets. Well, and, and just the pictures themselves. I mean, that one, and there's so many others. I saw one of uh, of people almost, uh, you know, accosting police 
in one of these uh, in one of these situations. Then then there's other pictures of of mothers, lines of mothers with their babies trying to just get basic supplies like diapers, and you can't get it right now. I mean, it's it's an incredibly massive problem going on in that country. That's right, and one of the chants that's been heard in protests throughout the country has been, and it rhymes in Spanish, but soldier, listen, join us, join the protest, join the fight. Right, and these, you have to remember, these soldiers are, uh, you know, this is all one country. This is not a foreign occupation force. So the soldiers' families are suffering themselves. Uh, it is literally their brothers and sisters who are going through this. And it's much harder uh, to maintain a kind of military-based regime uh, when, um, you know, when it is essentially one people um, that is having to, you know, that you're having to point your guns um, at your own people. And uh, I think Maduro realizes um, that that's the support base he can't let slip. And if it does slip, uh, it could well uh, be the end. Of, of his regime. What about the role of the U.S. in this? There were stories written about uh, the U.S. wants to uh, put a uh, $10 million aid package together to help out down there. Uh, that might make a little bit of a dent in, in, in the issue down there. But also there's talk about maybe putting sanctions in place on, on the Venezuelan government by the White House. What do you what do you see happening? Well, I chuckle at a ten million dollar aid package. I mean, this is a country um, that yeah. needs you know several more zeros after it before that even uh, has any traction whatsoever. So I'm not sure um, that's particularly effective. Um, sanctions, uh, you know, are certainly a possibility. Um, they tend to be relatively slow to to have effect. Um, the hard part is this is a country whose economy is already so devastated uh, that while sanctions in certain sectors uh, might have effect, uh, the the economy is very much isolated and closed from the rest of the world at the moment. Mm -hmm. So uh, sanctions are, are much more effective uh, against a more open uh, economy. Uh, targeted sanctions um, that go after particular individuals who are still supporting the regime uh, might be effective because many of those people have bank accounts and condominiums in Miami, uh, and getting some of them to feel the pain uh, a little bit more uh, might work. Um, the U.S. diplomatic engagement here is, is challenging, uh, partly because um, President Trump has really not yet staffed the State Department, yeah. um, and this is not one that the military is going to lead on. Um, Tom Shannon, uh, who is now our um, uh, Undersecretary for Political Affairs, has a lot of experience um, in the region uh, and has spent time as the Assistant Secretary for Western Hemisphere Affairs, so he at least understands um, the problems down there. Um, but there's not a lot of diplomatic capacity in the U.S. government at the moment uh, to meaningfully engage Venezuela. Dorothy? Yeah, I think as always with Venezuela, the U.S. in trying to inter intervene or uh, work with the opposition or facilitate regime change runs the risk of actually strengthening Maduro's hand and that certain actions that we might take against the government lead him to be able to more credibly say this is the imperialist U.S. that's yeah. responsible for the problems in the country and I, I think that's a real risk. The other risk with targeted sanctions and Bill mentioned you know sanctions that is directed against specific individuals as opposed to against the economy as a whole is that those types of actions could raise exit costs for members of the regime. That is, that could make them perceive that if they were to leave power, they won't be able to go to Miami. They won't be able to enjoy their um, post-government post life, and that that could actually make regime change more unlikely. 
Yeah, it certainly can cut both ways. And there's long debates about whether the threat of prosecution uh, ever gets people out of power or keeps them them in. Um, I think, though, from from the perspective of, of the United States, there's an interesting change has happened in the Trump administration, though, which is that in maybe it was his second week in power, Donald Trump met personally, Mike Pence as well, uh, with the wife of the Venezuelan opposition leader who's in jail, Leonardo Lopez, yeah. um, and has been more much more willing to be openly critical of Venezuela, certainly than uh, the Obama administration was. Whether that policy was well thought through or random happenstances is, is another question. Um, but I think we need to think very strategically about how we're putting pressure on um, and how to make sure that that pressure really does lead to positive regime change. Um, Lopez is still in jail. Uh, whether he is the solution for Venezuela is still an, an open question. Um, but uh, U.S. approaches in this region have backfired for, for more than 50 years. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio powered by the Wharton School in studio with William Burke White, director of the Perry World House and uh, law professor here at the University of Pennsylvania. Dorothy Cronick, who's an assistant professor in political science here at the University of Pennsylvania as well. 844-942-7866 if you'd like to join in or via Twitter. You can send us a comment at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. One of the other interesting points that was brought up in a variety of articles is just the impact on the region in general, uh, not just Venezuela, but neighboring countries and how that is really going to, you know, we could see an impact in that whole region as well, correct? Uh, I think absolutely, right? Venezuela um, has been for, for some time before the crisis got as bad as it was, a, a key trading and energy partner um, in the region, yeah. in, in, in the northern part of, of South America. Um, and Venezuela is now um, you know, in, in such utter disarray that Venezuela can't really promote or stimulate economic growth in the region. Yeah. Um, politically, it's complicated because there are a number of countries with socialist-leaning governments that are sort of on the borders of Venezuela there um, and have provided a little bit of a buffer um, for Venezuela, as has Cuba. Um, and those uh, countries are tipping in slightly different directions at the moment. It will be interesting to see uh, if there's a, a more open break from Maduro at some point. That, right. too, could put pressure um, on, on his regime. Um, but, uh, you know, with Cuba uh, opening more to the United States, they may be more susceptible to uh, some U.S. pressure not to be uh, as supportive a, a trading and economic and even, you know, health care partner. Uh, that's, of course, where uh, Chavez went for, for, for yeah. medical care. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, Venezuela Venezuela could face uh, more pressure from the region, but Venezuela's um, you know, current economic situation certainly pulls down the GDP growth in, in the rest of the region. I think that's right. I mean, Venezuela for a long time has not only been an important trading and economic partner for other countries, but a provider of major aid in the form of cash and in, in the form of oil. And that's obviously going away for a lot of countries in the region. Yeah. I think the other thing is that because the situation in Venezuela is so acute, other heads of state are really forced to take a stand in the context of the Organization of American States and other diplomatic contexts to state what their position is on the Maduro government. And I, I think that creates an interesting political dynamic. Yeah, you saw a statement by the Argentine foreign minister this week uh, openly criticizing Maduro and the call for a new constitution. Um, that is is different and unusual, right? The Latin American, South American states have often um, been been hesitant to, to, to openly criticize one another. Yeah. And we're starting to see uh, the edges of, uh, of that alliance, of that sort of tacit alliance begin begin to crack. Is there any way from a policy perspective, uh, Dorothy, that that this situation can be corrected without Maduro coming out of office at this point. I mean, it's it's become so expansive and so toxic 
that they, they that he needs to be out so that you can get some sort of positive change done. Well, I would never say that anything is impossible, but I think it is extremely unlikely that the Maduro administration would undertake the reforms, the policy changes that are needed to get the economy back on track. Economists, both domestically and international advisors, have been urging the administration for years to make some very sensible reforms, things like lifting price controls. You know, you mentioned that people there are having trouble getting basic goods, diapers, medicines. Those price, those shortages are not created in and of themselves by the fallen oil prices. You know, there are a lot of things that economists and policymakers don't understand about economic growth. But I think one thing that we understand is price controls create shortages, right? Yeah. And so yeah. a lot of these reforms are really common sense. Um, people have been urging this administration to undertake these reforms for years, and we haven't seen it. So I, I think it's unlikely. The other interesting piece about Venezuela, and this is the case, I think, with a lot of uh, nations that down in South America is that you have such kind of a a, a fractured uh, society there in terms of people believing ideologically in one thing compared to what your neighbor down the street may may believe in. And that becomes very hard for a lot of these people to say, okay, I'm willing to work with you because we both realize that what is going on in this country is bad. When you have that fracturing, that may be the biggest problem to, to first handle to be able to then take the next step. Yeah, I totally agree with Dorothy that there's no way um, that Maduro uh, will undertake the economic changes that need to get done. But he also has lost the trust uh, of uh, enough of his people that I don't see him being able to put the pieces back together. Um, yeah. And Dan, your, your point about the ideological divides uh, is very real. It means you need someone who both sides um, have enough faith in, enough trust, enough sense that they are undertaking these actions with um, good faith and goodwill, uh, and Maduro has lost that. Um, he still does have support. There's about, yeah. some studies will say 20, 25% of the population uh, that would still vote for him, um, <laughs> and, but the opposition is now so fundamentally opposed to him um, that I don't see him being able to reunify the political establishment. Even if he wanted to undertake the right changes, he doesn't have um, the ability to do so. Dorothy? Yeah, I think there are two really important things to think about in terms of the ideological polarization and kind of hatred between these two political sides that we see in Venezuela. One is the the distance between people who still identify with Chavismo, even if they don't support Maduro. Chavez is still a powerful political figure in Venezuela. Chavismo is a powerful political force. And then people who are on the other side. That's one division that I think is really important and actually something to keep in mind for those of us in the United States who may be feeling conflict between you know ideological extremes and sure. something that we want to avoid. But the other type of kind of distance is, is actually within Chavismo and within the opposition. And so even though the protests over the last five weeks have shown a more united front against the current regime, more united opposition than we've seen in the past, there still are important divisions and debates about do we participate in the elections for this constitutional convention, for this constituent assembly or not? Do we accept... Uh, Maduro's call for regional, that is gubernatorial elections, as a sufficient concession to call if the protests are not. And I think that those divisions are also very um, important in, in in limiting possibilities for but, change. As we've also seen in, in other cases, when we've talked about Brazil in the past, regional governments and, and people being the governors of a specific region tend to end up being a lot of times puppets of the guy that's in charge to begin with. And financially, they end up having the, the possibility of having 
you know, kind of greasing the wheels to their own pockets. So, I mean, that's not exactly a perfect solution to this either. Right. And I mean, certainly corruption uh, remains an enormous problem in Venezuela, uh, even as uh, the availability of resources have become more scarce. Uh, those who are in positions of leadership um, are both beholden to the national Maduro government uh, and exploit the, the positions they have to, you know, buy that apartment in Miami precisely so when they do fall out of favor, <laughs> they have a, a nice beach house to go to. Jump on a jump on a private jet and you're there in a couple of hours, right? Less than that from uh, from Caracas to, to Miami. What What's your expectation as to how this will all play out? You know, um, I'm oddly optimistic in a sad way, which is that I think we have now probably hit a tipping point where Maduro's days in power are numbered. Okay. I can't tell you if that's 10 or 200, um, but I think that we the path forward uh, is that Maduro will be pushed out of power um, or there will be a repressive, horrible crackdown uh, where the death tolls keep mounting. Um, but I think the path is probably one that does not involve Nicolas Maduro as the, the lasting president of Venezuela. Um, and it may be better to be moving in that direction um, than to be in a kind of ongoing political quagmire uh, that we've been in for, for the last few years. Dorothy? Well, I cautiously share that optimism, but I also want to remind everyone that three years ago, four years ago, when Maduro first came to power, people said he won't last a year. And a, a year into his administration, people said he won't last six months. And so there, ha in 2014, there were massive protests that ended up coming to nothing. So I, I do think that the best way forward for Venezuela at this point would be elections and having a new government in power. But I think it's, it's always hard to say ex ante whether that's going to happen or not. Great to have you both here. Thank you very much for coming in. Glad Good to, to do see it, you. Dan. Thank Thanks you, Dorothy. Me. Nice to meet you. Uh, Dorothy Chronic uh, from the Political Science Department here at the University of Pennsylvania, William Burke White, law professor and director of Perry World House. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.